0: Today's guest not only works for one of the most successful startups in San Francisco, but at the same time, and on the side, we're talking about the weekends here, has built a successful online SEO training course, and that's called ClickMinded.
1: One of my first insights into SEO was when George Bush was running for re-election, and I heard on the news that a bunch of activist bloggers started linking to George Bush's webpage with the phrase miserable failure. And they got him ranking number one for the term miserable failure. Then in response... Some Today's guest
0: is the founder founders, of ClickMinded, LinkedIn. Tommy Griffith. And it won't probably take you too long to figure out he's freaking hilarious. And I love talking with him so much. He's super humble about all that he's accomplished. And it was super fascinating to talk to him. So not only do we talk about how he founded ClickMinded, basically utilizing his Saturday mornings, but we get into a lot of topics like what you need to give up to be an entrepreneur and what he thinks about the educational system and maybe some of the opportunities that he sees for entrepreneurs in the educational space. To me, the theme of this week's show is really about Saturday morning and the potential that they have to change the trajectory of your life. I won't bore you with my specific Saturday morning story, but I think that we've all been there You know, after a long, hard, and sometimes even satisfying week of work for somebody else. Saturday morning is the time when you say, well, what am I going to do for me? And maybe you do have to clear the desk of some other obligations or some social invites and listen to a podcast like this, read a book and ask yourself, am I going to take action on these ideas? Do I believe in them? And that's really like the story that I got from Tommy. So I hope you enjoy this one and we'd love to hear from you. We're going to post all the links from this episode at tropicalmba.com slash click So I started by asking Tommy about his income from ClickMinded and how that compares to what he receives from his day job as the manager of search engine optimization, or SEO, at Airbnb. ClickMinded,
1: I've been working on for about five years. And... In my third year, I started eclipsing my own salary. So for the last three years, I've been well over my own salary. This year, I'll be about double.
0: Do you have employees for the company?
1: No employees. Using contractors here and there where we need it. And I am frequently using the apprenticeship model. So at any given time, I usually have at least one apprentice that I usually work with on weekends and has traditionally been an international student in San Francisco. I teach at a grad school as well, a summer elective at a graduate school, and I usually take on one apprenticeship after every class.
0: Tommy, why do you still work at Airbnb?
1: So there's still a bunch of stuff I want to do. I think it's a, like a healthy mix of paranoia about going full time on my project and my business and... Still not feeling fully accomplished yet with all the stuff I have going on. There's a bunch of projects we're launching in the future and I'm just not done yet.
0: There's a moment that you wrote about about being in a hammock in New Hampshire. I wanna talk about that hammock, but from reading the four hour work week, your business, click minded, is basically a dream come true for a fresh indoctrinee of the four-hour workweek style of thinking. You hardly spend any time on the business. The income is completely automated. Of course, it didn't start that way. And now that you've got it, you're not even taking advantage of it. You're working for one of the world's most successful startups in San Francisco. What's wrong with you?
1: Making me feel pretty cool right now. It doesn't feel that cool day to day, but it's pretty insane. Definitely want to grow it and want to work on it more. That is absolutely how it started. It's funny how that works, I guess. I was kind of looking for the easy way out with a lot of my first ideas. And now now that it's working, I still work 50 hours a week, I guess.
0: <laughs> Do you worry about what your co-workers think about it? Are you treated specially in the office because of what you've accomplished on the side?
1: Most people don't know. I'm open about it. People ask. Most people don't ask. I mean, we use, like, ClickMinded is, in order to join the SEO team, you have to take the course. <laughs> it's like, we use it. People are open about it. Airbnb is super cool about it. In fact, last year, Airbnb published a small book of everybody's side projects. Like, they're, they're really cool about it. A lot of companies aren't cool about it. But people are so in their own worlds that a lot of people don't really ask. They're just like, oh, you're working on a website on the weekends? Cool. Just like everyone.
0: <laughs> well, let me read something that you wrote. There's a ton of great ideas out there. There's a ton of profitable ideas. There are not a ton of ideas that you'll personally be passionate about, and you feel that that's more important than market size, is your own personal interest in the market. If the passion's there, you'll want to go to the paper of the city with flyers, even if it doesn't work. You'll want to host happy hours and geek out about search engines. You'll want to give lectures at universities that don't seem to have a point or an end game. You'll want to change learning platforms three or five times in order to better deliver your product. Finding something you're passionate about working on is the tough part. Once you do, you just got to keep wiggling. It's pretty poetic, man. Why is it so hard to find something you're passionate about?
1: I think everyone goes through that, right? All of the classic tactics that people use, right? It's like the idea validation stuff, keyword research, setting up Facebook ads and sending traffic to a landing page that takes an email. Like for, To some people, that's interesting and they'd never thought of that before and they try that and that's great and they get to idea validation. I got really good at that. But then, like, once I got to the idea, I sucked at executing. I had to be very, very interested in it to get it to go. There was an idea. I set up an iPhone app developer lead generation site. Like, I got it ranking really high for a bunch of keywords related to, like, iPhone app development companies and, like, iPhone app developer San Francisco. And, like, it was working. And I got it ranking. And I just hated it (laughs) and then there was like another woman who she was like running an analytics consulting company and she like asked me to work on our project and like there was all this money involved and like I started setting up the site and doing the keyword research and like sizing the market opportunity and all these things every Saturday when I went down to do it I would be like oh my god this is the worst like Maybe I'm weird, and like I probably should have built systems to like scale employees and do other things, and like have other people do the work, but I didn't, and I'm not good at that. And like the only engine for a long time has been me. And so if that's like the single engine you have, you have to want to be there, you know. And so it was way more simple to me. It was like super dorky, like do what you love, and then you're never at work, right? right? But like that's really how it was.
0: You mentioned that debt and misery were some of your primary motivators. So you graduated from college with no debt. So you were the one.
1: I was the one. Mom and dad paid for college. I was very lucky. I was someone who graduated debt-free and put myself into debt trying to execute on on a business idea. Probably partially inspired by the 4-hour work week. Although like I didn't I executed it in the wrong way, but I was just generally interested in entrepreneurship wanted to shoot for the moon and all that and traveled around asia for a while started a business with a friend of mine and we did like i would actually never heard the word startup i had never been to san francisco i didn't know anything about this scene but like we like had this idea in the medical tourism space and we asked our parents for a bunch of money and we like worked on it for a year and it didn't work at all it was like the actual product worked really well the basic idea was like we were trying to Ranked really high in SEO and SEM for medical tourism keywords. So this was kind of pre Obama healthcare reform, and like older people that couldn't afford certain surgeries were looking abroad. And the actual product worked. Like, we were ranking really well, we were driving a lot of traffic to the site. The actual business was so dumb. We were like a bunch of young 22 year old kids trying to sell 65 year olds in the middle of Illinois knee and hip replacement surgery, right? I remember the moment, too, that I knew I had to stop working on it. And it was 2 in the morning, and I was on Skype in my underwear talking to this lady in Evanston, Illinois, about the possible implications of deep vein thrombosis. Like, I was seeing so far over my head, it was unbelievable. We weren't making any money. I didn't know what I was talking about, and it was just... Real dumb. We took on a bunch of debt, and I paid the price.
0: How did you respond? What did you do the next morning when you woke up? I moved to Singapore.
1: I was in Taiwan at the time. I got really interested in digital marketing, inspired by a four-hour work week, I guess. worked at a, an ad agency doing managing paid search for uh, four- and five-star hotels and bartending at a nightclub on top of the Marina Bay Sands <laughs> Casino.
0: <laughs> oh, Nice.
1: And tried to start another, like an agency, my own SEO agency. I tried to start two different agencies while I was there and both times failed miserably. It was the same thing. Like I was working to build out an agency. I thought like that would be a good thing to do. I was interested in SEO in general, but like every day was the same thing. I would meet the client and start figuring it out and sizing everything. And then once I would sit down on the Saturday morning and it was face-to-face with WordPress and keyword research... And it was like someone else's business. It's just so hard to give a shit about someone else's business, you know? Totally. <laughs> I love the idea of productized services. I can't tell you how many links to your podcast I've sent about productized services because it solves a lot of that. It's a lot easier to do a productized service than it is to do the like, um oh, the agency and I care about you kind of model. I mean, I know some people that like it and they can do it and they like their clients and this and that. I can't. I can't do
0: it. So let's then talk about the genesis of Click Minded. You leave Singapore, you land in San Francisco, you get a job at eBay.
1: PayPal, yeah. It was owned by eBay at the time. So, yeah.
0: You're in debt pretty seriously at this point. So, you're like, I got to get a serious job in a serious place. Was that the mindset?
1: Basically, yeah. I mean, I'd been away for a while. In fact, it was kind of funny because, like, some of my friends from high school actually went into the army, and my one of my friends had done, like, a bunch of tours in Iraq. And I was calling my mom and I hadn't been home. I was I was away in Asia for two years straight. Didn't have the money to go home. And I would like Skype my mom and she'd be like, you know, Nate's been to Baghdad and he's already been home twice. How come you haven't been home? How come you haven't been home? And I was like, oh God, I felt horrible.
0: So you're sitting in a cubicle farm, San Francisco. That's where you end up.
1: Yeah, in debt, had to go back home. And was like, okay, I've been learning SEO the last two years. Let's see if anyone needs it. And right at that moment, PayPal was trying to hire someone to manage SEO for a lot of their emerging markets, international SEO.
0: So you got the gig. How did that lead to you doing a side project?
1: So I was like the young, energetic, hungry guy. Boss had asked me to do a training class to teach a bunch of the people like how SEO works. And I just did it. And so I put together like a two-hour course with a colleague on kind of the introduction to SEO got a ton of feedback on it. And people said like, Oh, you I've tried to learn it in the past is really complicated and confusing. You made it easy. So I this like, Oh, this light bulb moment, like, okay, maybe I can try this. People need this is valuable. So I started to put together like a kind of an all day SEO training course, six hours rent out a space in a co working space in San Francisco, and just nerd out with people about title tags, <laughs> hang out and talk about search engines. That was the idea.
0: And so you were charging a lot of money for these events, right?
1: The first, the very, very B1 was $500. It was a two-day class. By the end of that second day, I was dying. And all the students, too, were like, dude, this is not in two days. (laughs) Like, what are you doing? The actual product ended up being, yeah, kind of all day class, like 9 to 5 or 6 p.m., $500 per user.
0: I was looking at the numbers of this initial product and Your conclusion at the end was, this is the worst paying job in San Francisco.
1: That's right. It was a terrible, terrible business. (laughs) (laughs) The model was one to five students, Saturday mornings, $500, all you can SEO. I would ask them about what they wanted to learn, ask them for their website and their competitors. I would do a bunch of research beforehand and like get it all ready. So I would like look at their competitors, take evaluate the site, come back with recommendations. And then that Saturday would like learn SEO and then would give kind of direct feedback. I didn't have a ton of money and I did a rev share with the coworking spaces. So instead of like booking a coworking space in advance and being really stressed about filling it, I'd say, hey, let me do a revenue share with you. And then that way I'm not on the hook and like all stressed out about filling a class. But what it meant was that like four or five person classes were pretty good. One person classes were terrible. There was this moment where I was still in a lot of debt, still trying to work it off, still trying to get feedback on the class. And someone emailed me, it was like my second or third class. So this guy emails me and his name is Philip Liu. He's this 55-year-old Chinese dude. And he's like, I would love to learn SEO, but I can only, I'm only in town one day. And it turns out it was March 17th. It was St. Patrick's Day, also my 26th birthday. Phillip's like, can you make time for this? And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking about it, it's, like, well, it's my 26th birthday, it's 500 dollars Fine, I'm in. I got I've got so much debt, like I gotta get through this, I'm in. Then he asked for a promo code. And I'm like, God damn it. Then after I really crunched the numbers, it was awful. The revenue share on the co-working space was 50%. You know, I would buy a bunch of printed materials, I would buy the guy lunch. You know, I did a lot of work leading up to it. And so I'm sitting there on my birthday, St. Patrick's Day. There's like drunk people coming up on the window, like knocking with like green leprechaun hats, like having the best day of their life. And it's me and Philip Lou sitting in this tiny dark room talking about meta descriptions. (laughs) And I did up the math and I was making about $12 an hour teaching this guy. And San Francisco minimum wage was $13 an hour. So it was not good.
0: What were the key moments? One of the breakthrough moments was your Chinese client, but also getting those first few paying clients with direct hustle. Can you tell me about those people? Who were they?
1: I did a lot of the initial deals through revenue shares. I like, created the product. I spent a bunch of weekends in coffee shops, created the product. When I first created the product, as everyone who does SEO kind of knows, like it takes a little bit of time to get a website ranking. And so while I was waiting for that, I made a bunch of flyers that said, like click-minded SEO training, learn how SEO works. Normally $750, just $500 this weekend. And I like actually printed out flyers and printed out a few thousand flyers. I was like cutting them at the bottom. Like,
0: like in a laundromat.
1: Like in a laundromat. It was the exact same thing as that. And a bunch of my friends helped me cut them out. And I just went, I took a day off work and it was really cold. It was like November, December in San Francisco. And I had a big coat and a hat and I just went with a huge thing of duct tape and I went to every single, every, so funny thinking about it, every single lamppost in San Francisco just block by block posting up my flyers. And it was probably the dumbest thing I've ever done. Like halfway through, I realized like, oh, I'm pretty sure I did this when I was trying to mow lawns at age 11. But a bunch of my friends were saying like they were like convinced that it was probably going to work because I was like stupid enough to be willing to do that. Like most people like have a cool app idea and then they get high, right? <laughs> like,
0: In some ways, this is the story of the Saturday morning, the Saturday morning hustle. It sounds like that's a really critical time for you. So did you tell your bosses what you were going to be doing?
1: Yeah, I did. I actually wrestled with that a lot. And I don't know why I was so particular about the rules then, but I was. And I was very nervous about it. My actual direct boss was okay with it, but he said, like, oh, you have to email the eBay legal team and make sure it's okay. And so I, like, I wrote this email to them. It was like, hello, I'd like to tell you about a side project I'm about to endeavor on and this and that. And I, like, wrote it and rewrote it, deleted it, rewrote it. And I was like, this is everything. Like, if they don't buy this, I'm screwed. Like, could I do this? Why should I send this? I wrestled with it a lot. And then I finally got to an email I was happy with. It took me like two days to write one or two pair every email. And then I sent it. And in like two minutes, the guy emails me. He's like, sounds cool. Okay, no problem. But the reason why I bring it up is because like everyone I meet, I don't know if it's just San Francisco. And I know it differs state by state. I know New York is much more harsh about this stuff than California. And it kind of depends on the company. But most of the people I meet that are doing this, like they work full time and they have a side project. They're super shady about it. And the only reason why I'm bringing it up is because it doesn't feel like they need to be like, I remember I'd have coworkers and like looking left and right, like, got this idea. Let me tell you about it. And like come into this dark corner, I'll tell you, about it. It's like, dude, no, nobody cares. Like, don't start a rival company inside your company. But outside of that, like, as long as you're getting your stuff done and you have a cool boss, you're probably good. My current employer is super cool about these things. They
0: encourage it.
1: A lot of people are very sketched out about it. Maybe it's rightfully so, maybe not. Maybe I just got lucky, but I was open about it and I had no problems.
0: At this moment when you're running these seminars, did you have the vision for what ClickMinded would become?
1: No, I completely fell ass backwards into it and it was just pure luck. I was asked to go talk at a school and someone actually raised their hand and asked if I'd ever heard of Udemy and I hadn't. Udemy is an online course marketplace. Udemy was one of the, I would argue, one of the pioneers in kind of the, not MOOCs. I think there's a distinction between MOOCs, like the Courseras and the Udacity, kind of like Stanford or Princeton puts their curriculum online. So a MOOC is a massive open online course. And yeah, a lot of them are free. They're trying to figure out how to monetize them now. I'm very interested in online learning now. Udemy is the other end, kind of down market, which is like, oh, I'm good at Photoshop. I'm going to put together a Photoshop course. Yeah, SEO, different types of design. A lot of type of stuff that you could screen capture, a lot of independent entrepreneurs. Udemy and I have actually had a very famous falling out, a very public falling out as of late. Udemy was very pro-instructor, pioneer in the market in the early days for a while. And recently, they've had a number of changes that are very anti-instructor, bad for the ecosystem, bad for online learning in general. Udemy is an okay place to start, but you can't build a business. You can't build a good product there long-term anymore.
0: You called them out publicly?
1: I did. We had a famous falling out. I was one of the earlier instructors. I was on their homepage for a while. I've been to the office a bunch, near my office. I've helped with a bunch of stuff. And then they did a bunch of things that were bad for instructors. And I got kicked out of their Facebook group.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. It's rough.
1: So I wrote a blog post titled, My Revenue Increased 300% After I Left Udemy, which it did. It's been much higher now. But the basic idea is like their incentive structure is stupid. It used to be much more reasonable. Now they put a price cap on courses. They take a huge revenue share. What makes me so angry about the way they've taken it is they could be, I feel like the disappointed dad. They have so much potential. you know. <laughs> so I teach at grad school. Graduate school is fundamentally broken. It's a scam. Nobody needs it. It is the worst thing society has done to our generation. There's a trillion with a T trillion dollars worth of debt because of grad school in the United States. And so much of this can be solved with online learning. It's not being solved. And it could be. And instead of going that angle, instead of like trying to replace That, like, angst filled 28 year old who doesn't know what he wants to do, like, with online courses and like trying to get in on like job placement and certifications and accreditation or whatever it is. Udemy's like, oh, let's set a price cap at $50 and sell more like vaporware Photoshop classes that no one actually takes. The big dirty secret with online courses this is actually an amazing A B test. So, Udemy accidentally opted me into one of their discounts. So my course started as a $99 online course and I've ramped it up to $500. I then removed myself from Udemy's affiliate promotion thing where they say like, hey, give us unhinged ability to discount your course as much as you want and email everybody. And I turned it off. I didn't want to discount it anymore. They accidentally opted me in. And so my $500 course, they send an email to like a million something people selling my $500 course for $10. And so it was like a huge hit to the brand. People who had bought it and like had the 30 or 60-day refund policy or whatever asked for refunds back. Like All these people signed up for it. It got torrented right after.
0: And by torrented, you mean your course got copied and put on the internet for free?
1: Exactly. Yeah. So it got uploaded. The most amazing part, though, all of that was like, fine, there's no big deal. I've done a bunch of weird things on Udemy. I've broken their terms of service before and they were cool. Like it was an engineering mistake. That That actually wasn't that big of a deal. We got that resolved. But... The most amazing part was the data. People who were buying the course at $10 weren't taking it. And that's what was so fascinating to me is like, maybe the way that they're doing it is better for their business. And if it is, that's fine and I get it. But what they're doing is bad for the online learning ecosystem. It could just be so much more. Like they really, Udemy could replace grad school. And instead they're going to like go for next quarter's numbers. You know what I mean? Like that's why I'm so mad about it.
0: Why do you teach at grad school?
1: I don't know. It was just an opportunity at first, and then I kind of liked it. I like teaching.
0: What's it like? I'm curious. Where do you teach?
1: So it's an international university in San Francisco called HALT, HALT International Business School. Not very well known, a lot of international students. It's just an elective. And actually, if I'm being serious and being real with myself, I mean, a lot of the reason why is I'm motivated by this. I don't think it's necessary anymore. I think all grad school can go away and part of me, I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. I'd never been to grad school. I didn't do that well in school. I love learning. I love online learning, and I think a lot of it can be replaced. A lot of regular formal education can be replaced now, and part of the motivation was I wanted to be able to teach for a little bit at an actual grad school and then, I guess, destroy the system from the (laughs) the inside. I love some of the podcasts you guys have done on, like, the bizarre future and the fact that like DCers and people listening to the show are like a little weird.
0: Just want to zoom in here to clarify when Tommy says the DC or DCer, he's just referring to a member of our private community of entrepreneurs called the dynamite circle or DC. And he's also going to mention DCBKK, which is the annual conference or event that Ian and I host in Bangkok.
1: I'm a little weird, and I like how against the grain a lot of the thinking is. I think the way we think about credentialing and graduate school and online learning is very much wrapped up into that. Like, it's so ridiculous to think, can you think of any DCer being like, oh, I'm going to hire this person because they they have an MBA or because they have an official University of San Francisco SEO certification, which you can get for $7,000 online right now, right? Like, it's ridiculous, right? It's absurd for people like us.
0: Tommy, fast forward us to the part of the story when the online portion of ClickMinded really starts taking off. Like, Was there a moment when you're like, oh yeah, this is really something?
1: The big time moment was doing a referral deal with AppSumo.
0: Now AppSumo is like a daily deal site for nerds, basically.
1: Right. Groupon for nerds. So I've done a bunch of deals with them since, but I did it. I just applied through regular contact form. And actually the first one we did, we're kind of in like a learning management system renaissance right now. Like there's a lot of very easy ways to get an online course up fast. There was not one in 2012. And so I had footage, I had rented a camera at a camera store. I was using a free conference room at the ING Direct Cafe in San Francisco. And we had this like budget six-hour online SEO course. And I just gave the AppSumo guys a Dropbox link. And we like hacked together an online course with WordPress with
0: them. So this was your first venture off of Udemy.
1: Yeah, so I was on Udemy and then wasn't even ready to take my own online course but had the content and basically machete together a course with them. Incredibly low quality, incredibly budget, sort of like membership credentials. But it was like really highly rated. People liked it. I don't know why, but people (laughs) liked it. When that check came in, that was like four months salary. And I was like, oh my God, this is a thing. (laughs) So that was the start.
0: One of the things that's fascinating is you're charging $500. I mean, you're not giving them six months of coursework or asking them to relocate somewhere. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Pricing is fascinating. I still don't understand it. It's very, very intriguing because... I've played with pricing a lot from the $99 price point up to $500 price point. Every time I've moved it up, sales have gone up. I go back and forth. Like, for example, there's a bunch of companies now who use ClickMinded and they onboard all of their designers. So any designer who's joining the company takes the course. And when you view it in that lens, the course is way too cheap, right? Like every designer is learning search engine optimization fundamentals for a very, very low price. A government agency in New Zealand and a federal government agency in the U.S. have also taken the course and they're like training it with people. Like it's not nearly enough. But like the young, scrappy, there's a lot of internet marketers and like individual web designers, solopreneurs, people who take it. They could argue that, you know, it's only a six hour course. Maybe it's too much. But the vast majority of the feedback is that it's pretty good. People like it. Actually, I've gotten a lot of feedback on this that it was very valuable to them was the, I have parts of my FAQ where it says, what are the secrets I'm going to learn? What's the advantage? Why should I take this course? And I'm very open about it. I say everything that's in this course, you can find on your own. It is all online. You can teach all of this to yourself, but I've been doing this for seven years and I've consolidated seven years worth of knowledge into a six hour course. Here's the buy now button and people buy it. So that's sort of how I positioned it. And the open honesty thing really works. Like people love it. Like I'll just openly say you absolutely do not need this course. And everybody clamors over it once you say
0: that. (laughs) Well, also, it seems to me like I've seen other businesses like this and you're kind of instead of presenting this is like some ongoing learning or like a treasure trove of all the world's SEO information, you're actually solving a problem, which is like this is the SEO that you need to know. And if you're not a full-time SEO, but you're a designer or a government employee, like we've distilled the key elements of SEO that you need to understand and it's only going to take six hours of your time.
1: Yeah, maybe I need to add that to my marketing company.
0: But I think what's so cool is that a lot of people might have mindset limitations around it because certainly so many people listening to this podcast right now, they have an incredible depth of knowledge in their field and they could share it in a course like this.
1: The things that people liked are so counterintuitive it's not that black hat tactic that worked for you on your affiliate site it's like the metaphor you use to connect the dots or like the joke that you told at that one moment that made it more memorable or like it actually had way less to do with the actual seo than i thought now, a little bit more about like the teaching or some of the storytelling stuff or the ease of use, like, and then here's the other huge dirty secret about online courses. The fastest way to learn is to teach, right, so I cannot tell you how much faster I actually learned SEO once I started teaching it. I think you could argue that I wasn't really that good when I started teaching, it. <laughs> and I'm probably not even that good now, but the fastest hack to really becoming an expert that's able to teach is to just teach, just start, you know?
0: This is amazing to me. The moment I would have paid off the debt and had six figures of income, I would have just been eating chips on my couch on a Wednesday afternoon. You know, you're in this phase where you have a lot of responsibilities in your nine to five, I'm assuming, right?
1: There's a lot going on, yeah.
0: This my blessing. This is my passion. School of hard knocks. I took night classes. One area that you write that I was very curious about that you did have problems in was with your friends. Can you talk me through some of, first off, what the problem scope was?
1: Yeah, I was very motivated in getting out of debt, super motivated in building something big. It was very difficult to get sucked back into, like, a normal social circle. It's just funny to, like... By definition, anyone who builds a company is a little weird. It's not normal, and if you build a big company, that's even weirder, right? So like, by definition, you're not normal, and by definition, you can't have normal inputs to get these abnormal outputs. So like, it's kind of a weird way to think about it, but I I mean, I had roommates that I liked a lot, they'd say like, it's so awesome what you're doing, I'm gonna do that too, and then they like go and they're like blacked out at the bar, right? (laughs) Or like Sunday football or taco Tuesdays. Like when you try and be objective about it and you look back, it's like, hey, I'm going to do everything everyone else does all the time and then hope that I build something magical and different by a complete act of God. Right. So like I had a lot of trouble with trying to build this and maintain a lot of friendships. I pissed my friends off.
0: Were they really pissed? Tell me about that. I think I made people mad.
1: Especially if you're when you're around if you are a loudmouth like me or you like take a lot of attention and then you stop showing up people get mad I think you guys have actually mentioned on your podcast a bunch like the one-year-old birthday parties you have to say no to the one-year-old birthday parties it's it sounds horrible but like especially in San Francisco it's just constant it's my friend's birthday there's a mini golf thing we're going to the park like it's just relentless, and these are these are like ivory tower problems, right? like, oh, poor me, I have to say no to to a picnic, right, <laughs> but you have to go against that, and so yeah, if I'm being really honest, I, I think I pissed a, a lot of people off, like I would lie a lot, I would say I was going out when I wasn't, or I would say the product wasn't doing as well when it was. It was really lonely for a little while. it was such a breath of fresh air to meet other people that had done that. Or like I kind of gave a talk recently at Noah's SumoCon conference. And like I said, some of these things and people came up to me with the exact same stories. Like one woman was like, I quit my job nine months ago and I haven't told any of my friends. Like I'm working on this because it's just relentless, like yoga class and brunch and mimosas and this and that. And like just meeting other people that were building like similar sized businesses and saying that they had to bail on a lot of social commitments in order to get there. I was like very kind of mad at myself for, but then realized like most people seem to wrestle with that on the way. And it was a little bit more reassuring, I guess.
0: Did you ultimately end up losing friendships over becoming an entrepreneur?
1: I don't think losing entirely, but I would say I strained friendships for sure. Some people I lost touch with really, really close friends, kind of no impact it's not a default it's not normal and i think preparing for that mentally is important because there is a little bit of a crossroad and man people that are married kids i don't know how they do it my god
0: were you trying to go to like local meetups and stuff and bump into other entrepreneurs
1: you know i was not I didn't. I think I was fairly isolated. And and actually, that might be more related to San Francisco. Man, San Francisco is the worst city for this kind of business. I remember, like, you know, I went to DCBKK last year and went to Ho Chi Minh, was in Saigon, basically just because of this podcast. And like meeting some of the people there was so interesting.
0: What did it feel like to show up and meet all the faces behind this stuff? Did it defy your expectation in any way?
1: It defied my expectations. I would latch onto one person who got what I was talking about in the city I live in now. And at DCBKK, it was a joke. I was just laughing because you could talk to anyone and they would tell you why ConvertKit was better than MailChimp. Or you could talk to anyone and talk about this like WordPress plugin or that WordPress plugin. Like It was just so much better. Like The forum was great. The DC is great. But meeting face-to-face is truly unbeatable. You cannot beat it. It defied all expectations for sure. This was my second time and was preparing for it for many months. I never prepare for anything. I'm last minute for everything. I am going back. I hate conferences. I get asked to speak at conferences a lot. I cannot stand SEO conferences, but I refuse to miss DCBKK. It was a lot of fun. In San Francisco, it's mostly people trying to get funding and putting together PowerPoint decks. And it's just the exact opposite of printing out a thousand flyers and duct taping them (laughs) to the light poles, you know. I held a lot of meetups. Actually, meetup was a platform that I, like, leveraged a lot to get my first early users. But the, like, rubbing shoulders type of stuff wasn't really doing
0: Hey, all My name is Tommy. Just joined the DC a few days ago. So excited to be part of the group. I can't believe it took me this long to discover the TMBA podcast in this community. This is two years ago. You write this. I I feel like I've finally found my people. Who are your people?
1: My people? I mean, it was just shocking to find so many like-minded people in one spot. I felt a little alone. I'm going to get a little emo on you right now. Like, I don't know. I mean, talking about WordPress plugins at the bar. Yeah, I do it leave me alone, you know? But that happened at DCPKK. It happened a lot. So were walking by someone and I overheard them saying, what's your open rate, bro? And I was like, oh my God, that's so DC. They make me sound like it's very dude heavy. I feel like there were a lot more women this year, but it was very nerd heavy. These are my people. The DC are my
0: people. The business continues to grow. This is a serious business. What are you going to do with it? There's got to be people coming up to you all the time and saying, what are you doing, Tommy? You know, Why don't you take investment? Why don't you have a full team? I mean, this is a multi-million dollar business. Well, what's your hope for this particular business, click minded?
1: So here's what's so interesting about online marketing. People learn online marketing either for themselves or they fall into it by accident. And colleges, aka the world's greatest scam, are trying to capitalize on this by using their leverage as a brand to sell digital marketing degrees. As someone who has hired people at Airbnb and PayPal, interviewed people, hired people for my own business, nobody looks for a digital marketing degree. This is the General Assembly, hack reactor, coding bootcamp phase, right? Like it's some type of apprenticeship, learn a bunch in a short amount of time and then go do the work kind of model. This is so Silicon Valley and annoying to say, but I'm going to say it. But it's the Paul Graham quote. The future is here. It's just not evenly distributed. Like, that's exactly what's going on. People who are actually learning this stuff are self-taught or they're taking classes on Udemy, right? But some people are spending fifty dollars to $100,000, two years of their time, going to grad school, and then they're in the exact same spot two years later except with a $100,000 of debt and no progress, no direction. In an ideal world, I think ClickMinded could become general assembly for digital marketing or could destroy a large number of graduate-level degree programs at middle-tier universities. So here's my thoughts. I don't think you can kill undergrad, right? I loved undergrad. And even though it's very expensive, I think there's like a societal like life-development Thing there. Like, I'm not going to take back the Yukon keg stands for anything. Right. <laughs> and I don't think you can kill Ivy League schools. I think that's a reality. I don't think Harvard and Princeton and Stanford is going away. But there's a middle tier. People turn 27, 28, 29. They say, I don't know what to do with my life. I don't like my job. I'm going to go to grad school. And then two years later, they're in the exact same spot, those people should be flying to Costa Rica taking online classes and figuring it out or doing, I mean, that's the premise of the tropical MBA, right? (laughs) Like these people should not be, as someone who went heavily into debt for the wrong reasons early in life, they should not be going heavily into debt (laughs) for the wrong reasons early in life. And so I think ClickMinded could help with that.
0: It's such a weird matrixy viewpoint, you know, to kind of step back and look at it that way and say that there's... All these people benefiting from this machine of loan structures and the unquestionability of the validity of it, and that the people that are not winning are the students themselves. Like Everybody else is, is winning. The people who have the 20-year careers with good paychecks, fair enough. Good job's a good job. The institutions are certainly winning. And of course, the lenders, at least so far, have been doing really well.
1: For now, Dan. We'll give him a little while longer. And we're coming for him, pal. <laughs> I have a question for you. I mean, some of your former words are ringing in my ears the last year or two. Like, did you, in building your business, you guys recently had an exit? Like, did you burn through friendships? Did you sacrifice a lot to like get to where you are?
0: It was interesting. You said like the word "dirty secret" a lot. I think there's a lot of bodies buried in the entrepreneurial stories that happen on this show. It's not always the case, but I notice it when there's a level of kind of social ruthlessness that can exist in a lot of these stories, you know, a willingness to piss people off or maybe to have some secrets or to tell some lies, like you mentioned, or just to forget about people for a little while. Because if you're constantly minding every social responsibility in your life, I honestly think that that's why there's such a big theme on the show of people like taking off to foreign countries. It's like... Yeah, you, you were gone for two years and you really got to focus on your, yourself for two years. I do remember being in San Diego at the beginning. And I had a lot of friends that were meaningful relationships, but they were practiced-based friendships. Like we were friends because we did things together. We watched the games together. We went to the beach together. We went golfing together or whatever. And as I started to pull out of those activities... For the first few months, there was a lot of protests, and then the protests dropped off. And when I would return, I initially was honest about what was happening and then started not being so open about it because it was awkward to talk about because those things questioned not only our relationship, like whether it was going to continue, but I think it kind of implicitly called into question what they were doing with their lives. Right. Right. I didn't mean to do that. Maybe at the beginning I was that. At the beginning I was like, "Oh, you guys should, you know, check this book out." But as things started getting rolling, I would almost be a little bit embarrassed to come back.
1: Right. Exactly. I felt the exact same way. All of a sudden the level changes and it's like, yeah, people would say, "What'd you do last night?" and it's like, I closed a huge deal or like I did a huge thing, but I would say like nothing. You know, it's just it's awkward.
0: My closest friends, that's a different story they thought I was a scam artist or full of shit for years. I guess because I'm a big talker. And so I would always talk about everything I'm doing as, you know, it's, it's the greatest thing ever. I was like, no, this is like a legitimate opportunity for people's lives, you know? And they're like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Just Whatever, dude. Let us know when you come back to reality. What I found is post startup, I've really made it a priority in my life to like build in time with my closest friends and family. I spend more time with my close friends, my high school friends, my close guys, and my family than I ever would in my corporate career when I lived and worked in San Diego and had to get a $400 flight back home for Christmas. So that's changed.
1: You guys have put a lot of your life out there the last couple of years with this show. And it's been super cool, especially for me. Like I got into the game late and like, started listening pretty late, but like went back and heard some of your older episodes. And you have this pretty amazing documentary going of your whole story. Is it way different now for the next phase? Like, okay, you go home more, you see some of your friends more, but like, are you gonna do it again? You're gonna start something again and going to like ramp up again to the Leave me alone for my laptop Saturdays? Or are you going to be like the wise old elder looking over his kingdom and like, (laughs) how does it work?
0: Yeah, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. I feel like the same way you feel about teaching, I feel about this podcast. I just, I like it. So I'm happy to wiggle along and see where it goes. I think there's probably some psychologizing to do with me and Ian about how we've changed. I feel like I shared more when I was younger. I would be like, this is what I'm doing. Let's go do it together. This is going to be fun. And now I don't do that so much anymore. And I don't know why. I feel less confident about things. Really? I feel like it oh, just I, now I'm going to say like the classic entrepreneurship cliche. So I'll get it out of the way, which is now that I've built a business and sold it, I feel less confident about how to do that. Whereas when I was doing it, I was very happy to be like, this is precisely how you build a sales team. This is how you do that. Because I just did it. I'm amazing. I'm 26. Listen to me. <laughs> and now that I'm 35, I'm like, I, I'm not so sure, actually. I have no idea. <laughs> we'll see. That's it, man.
1: Thank you so much for everything. You have no idea how much you've helped me. My pleasure. Oh, my laptop Saturday.
0: Thanks, Tommy. Me. It's going to be some dread. Is I hope you liked this conversation as much as I did. If you want to comment or check out some of the links that we mentioned in today's show, check out tropicalmba.com slash clickminded. And big ups to Tommy Griffith for coming by and sharing his story. I love this idea of the Saturday for you, you know? You've worked so hard all week long. And this could even be the case if you have a business. Maybe Saturday morning is just that time. You know, you clear the to-do list off and you ask yourself... You know what's something exciting something different something profitable that i could do on the weekend i hope tommy's story inspires a few listeners of this show to go get started on their idea again we'll be at tropicalmba.com slash click-minded and thanks for listening and we'll be back next thursday morning peace